Good evening, everybody. Well, welcome to all of you that are here in the room and joining us online tonight. We are going to be looking again at Christian suffering. And we decided to open that night with technical difficulties and one of our guitars breaking, you know, to kind of live the moment, right? Um, but really, I mean, having your guitars break is, is, is far from suffering. But James has, or James, Peter has been doing a lot um, through his letter to talk about suffering, and so we're going to be looking at it again as he is addressing it again with a focus on some do's and don'ts when it comes to suffering. You know, there was a uh, lost and found notice that was posted once that confused some of the people that read it because this is what it said. Lost dog with three legs, blind in the left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, recently injured, answers to the name of Lucky. But isn't that how we feel sometimes, (laughs) right? We can often feel as lucky as that dog when we're struggling with suffering in our lives, you know, and one of the most common objections to God, most common objections to Christianity is suffering. You know, when we suffer in our personal lives, that can sometimes cause us to find ourselves questioning the love of God, right? God, are you here? God, are you aware? Are you paying attention? You know, for unsaved people, and I was one of them before I was a Christian, is that I would often answer people who would tell me about how loving God is and how much he loves me and that he died for me, and I would say things like, if God is so loving, why does he allow evil and suffering in the world, right? Many would look around the world today, and some might even say, well, God did a good job, but he had one huge mistake, and sometimes Christians can uh, either think this or find themselves living this way. God did a great job, but he made one mistake, pain. He created pain, and he allows pain and suffering in the world, you know. Um, being a, a pastor in ministry, I've, I've had the, the blessed privilege to walk with so many people over the years in, in dealing with different uh, issues of life, obviously the joys and the happy times, you know, and then also the death and the suffering and the painful times. And one of the questions that is commonly asked in these times, even by believers, is why? Why suffering? Why does it happen? What's the point? Why does God allow it? Well, Peter is a good guy to turn to with such questions because he addresses these things head on and writes about suffering no less than 21 different times in these five chapters of his first letter. All right, so it was a focus, and we're going to look at it again. We've already looked at it a number of times as we've been studying through 1 Peter here, um, but we're going to look at it again once more and specifically look at some do's and don'ts when it comes to suffering. And there's two of each. We're going to see that uh, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering, so don't be surprised by suffering. The second don't is don't be scared by suffering. And then the two do's. Do suffer for the right reasons, all right? And do allow suffering to make you sensitive to the suffering of others. And so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dig into the verses tonight. Father, we thank you so much. God, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for your word We're grateful, God, that you are our solid anchor when the world has fallen apart. We are grateful, God, that you are faithful and consistent when everything else around us doesn't make sense. God, you are our our point of stability, and we thank you for that, Lord. I pray, God, for anybody that is suffering tonight, 
Big issues, little issues, Lord. Anybody in the room, anybody watching online, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them, that you'd bless them, encourage them tonight, God. Lord, that we would just have a proper perspective, Lord, as your word spends so much time talking about Christian suffering, that, Lord, we would again be reminded of the mindset, the perspective you want us to have on suffering, that we'd be able to deal with suffering in a biblical and a godly way, Lord, to to get through our suffering in a way that glorifies your name and blesses us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4. And the first don't of suffering here is don't be surprised by suffering. This is what Peter says. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, he opens with that phrase, dear friends. In other translations, it's the word beloved. And and that's really a beautiful word here that Peter's using because he's writing not just to an audience. He is writing to his flock. He is writing to a group of people pastorally that he cares about deeply, that he loves deeply, and he wants to encourage them. You know, and even in difficult times, you know, he wants to encourage them, look, I care, I love you. And God loves you more importantly, so don't lose sight of such things. And so lovingly, gently as he opens, dear friends, beloved, he says, don't be surprised or think it unusual when you suffer. Suffering is common to everybody. It happens to everybody. Nobody is immune from suffering. Now, I was having a conversation with a friend earlier today, and we're talking about, you know, man, we're talking about suffering again? right? You know, doesn't Peter have anything else to talk about? You know, why suffering? You know, and, and for me, you know, it's, it's always tough because, you know, if you've been blessed to, to be able to teach the word in any capacity, you'll often find out that whatever it is you're teaching on, you get to live first, right? You get to experience uh, what God is talking about here. But, you know, suffering is common to everybody, it's tough sometimes to look at these verses uh, that, that deal with suffering, um, especially as we get into the context, and we'll deal with some of that in a little bit, because to be completely honest, and I'm just going to be fair and blunt here, okay? Us today in our, in our Western American world, we don't really deal with suffering the way that people were suffering that, that received these letters initially. Now, now, I don't mean to diminish suffering that we go through because we all have dealt with suffering in different ways and many of us have had illnesses and disease and sickness and, and those types of things and those are suffering. But in the big zoomed out picture, especially in context of what some today around the world are experiencing, simply because they confess Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, In relation to that, we haven't really experienced suffering to that degree. And here in in America, I would think that sometimes we could think it's strange or unusual when we suffer. You know, when, when, when the government starts to come against our churches. And when we experience just outright blatant religious discrimination because we're Christians in our workplaces and stuff. And We've heard about suffering, we've studied suffering, but when it happens, we're a little shocked. You know, that doesn't happen in our world. That doesn't happen in my life. And, and, and oftentimes, people can be surprised, as Peter is addressing here. 
They could think something unusual is happening to them when they suffer. Um, I read a story. It was in the Reader's Digest about Flight 93. If you remember, Flight 93 was the plane that crashed in the fields of Pennsylvania on on 9-11. And in this story, it was recollecting a a phone call that one of the passengers made to their wife, and, and he called his wife and he said this, our plane has been hijacked. There are three men on board who say they have a bomb. They have already killed one passenger. Please call the authorities. And in the recollection of this event, the wife said this, the entire conversation as it was going on, my thoughts were these. No, 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 this can't be happening to us. We have good jobs, we have great kids, we have good lives. Things like this don't happen to people like us. And that's exactly the type of thinking that can sometimes go through our heads. There wasn't anything you know, discriminatory or racially motivated like that. This was a person who said, look, you know, our, our lives are going great and yet this horrible tragedy is about to take place. And for this wife, unfortunately, it was happening. And the fact that suffering happens to everybody is sometimes people's favorite reason to reject the God of the Bible, to reject Christianity. How could a God of love, who's all-powerful, allow evil to exist? And theologians and philosophers and pastors and Bible teachers and and atheists, (laughs) they have struggled with this question ad nauseum down through the centuries. George Barna, who does a lot of polls and stuff, he asked a question once in one of his polls uh, to the church. And he said, if you could ask God one question and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he would indeed give you an answer, what question would you ask God? And what he found in his study is that overwhelmingly people asked, asked or said this. This is the question they would ask. Why would you allow so much evil, suffering, and pain on the earth? To make it an even more difficult thing to process and deal with for us is that bad things don't just happen to bad people, right? Like if bad only happened to bad people, if only murderers, and, 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 and pedophiles and the worst criminals, if only those people got cancer, had horrible accidents in their life, I think we would all be lying if there wasn't at least a small part of us that went, justice. Right? But when the innocent suffer, we struggle. Why? They didn't do anything wrong why they're suffering, how they're suffering, for what purpose. Why does God allow evil in the world at all? Why doesn't he just hold it all back and restrain it if he's God Almighty? Now, I would counter that with arguing that I think God is already restraining evil in a major, major way. I mean, think about our world today. Nuclear weapons have been around for how long? Suitcase-sized nuclear bombs have been around for how long? And why hasn't some radical warlord or some you know, weirdo dictator with access to nuclear weapons already nuked some major city and a major population area? Why hasn't it happened yet? The other question that crosses my mind is, you know, knowing that there's biological weapons research going, around, going on around the world, right? In many different countries. Why hasn't something truly horrible been unleashed. 
I mean, there's evil people in the world that would love nothing than to just people suffer, to see people suffer. But on the flip side of that, we know that the Bible tells us that God allows the free will of mankind, that mankind has a free will to choose its own destiny, to do what it wants, to believe what it wants. Now, God allows us that free will because he wants us to exercise that free will in choosing him, choosing salvation, choosing heaven. Otherwise, we'd just be robots. And if God forced us to love him, we would just accuse him of forcing us to love him. But the question of why does God allow suffering, it's a huge question. It's a huge question, and, and to be completely honest, it's beyond the scope of tonight's message, okay? Um, but I will summarize it as best I can in this. Suffering exists because sin exists. Suffering exists in the world because sin exists. And so Peter is saying here, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that suffering exists. You know, to, to, to make sure that nobody would ever sin, God would have to rob us of our free will. And if he robbed us of our free will, then we couldn't do things that were selfish and hurtful and whatnot. And sure, sin might go away, suffering might go away, but then all we're gonna do is get mad at God because you took away my free will. So God allows free will in this world, and through that, he allows sin. But in answer to that, Jesus is ultimately our only hope because he is the only ultimate solution to sin in this world. But I want you to notice a detail here in this verse Peter is saying here. Notice this detail. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Fiery ordeal. It's a very important detail, I think, especially in this letter. And this is why. I personally believe that this letter was written by Peter um, towards the end of 64 AD. That's when I believe. There's some people that kind of vary it around, but I believe it was written at the end of 64 AD. And you go, well, why does that have, what does that have to do with this fiery ordeal? Well, if you're a student of history, you'll, you'll remember that something very, very significant happened in the middle of 64 AD, right during the summertime. It actually started on July 16th of the summer of 64 AD. And what happened was that Rome burned for nine consecutive weeks. Rome was basically burned all the way down to the ground, and most of the people at the time believed that it was the emperor's fault. They believed that it was Caesar Nero who started this fire. Caesar Nero was, was a builder. He loved building things. He loved renovating things, and, and historians tell us that he didn't like the old city. He actually wanted to tear down the old city so he could rebuild Rome in his own image. Now, it wasn't something that he would tell people because, you know, how dare you want to tear down the old city? But details we do know, according to historical records, is that when the fire started in Rome, and Rome as a city started to catch fire, we know that Caesar Nero watched it with glee and joy on his face, as the histories record. We know that when people tried to put the fires out, Roman soldiers actually stopped them from doing so and actually worked to start more fires throughout the city, very potentially under the orders of Caesar Nero. And so as a result of these fires, people lost homes, they lost goods, they lost businesses, they lost loved ones. And the people of Rome at the time were so mad they were so upset that they turned against Caesar Nero in such a degree it was almost an all-out revolt. 
Caesar Nero had to do something. He had to do something. He had overplayed his hand. So he needed a scapegoat. And you guys know who the scapegoats were, right? The Christians. The Christians were blamed. People really didn't like the Christians anyways. And so Caesar Nero found the Christians to be a very convenient scapegoat. They're the reason. They're the ones that started the fire. They're the ones that you've lost, the reason you've lost your homes and your goods and all of that. And so to, to really drive home the point that he thoroughly believed the Christians started this fire, one of the things he did, and he was a madman, is he had Christians round up from all over the place, and he would tie them to these large, tall poles, cover them in tar and pitch, and set them on fire while they were alive. And he used them to, to be human torches down through the uh, imperial gardens, and this was the start, incidentally, of 200 years of a reign of terror against Christian believers in Rome. Now, as I said, I believe this letter was written towards the end of that year, personally. So I want to reread the verse, and I want you to think of it from the perspective of possibly a Roman citizen, maybe an inhabitant of Rome itself, who had been living during these times. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Everybody would know what he's referring to there. But he's opening this section where he's like, look, don't be surprised when suffering happens. Now in verse 13, we get to the second don't of suffering. Well, really, I think he's saying, don't be scared by suffering. Look at verse 13. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. All right. Uh, seriously, Peter, rejoice. It's very likely that recipients reading this letter had dear friends and loved ones burnt alive on these torches that Nero set up to blame the Christians. The persecution against the Christians just ramped up and increased and was very, very heavy. And he says rejoice. Now, when we suffer as Christians, we really have two choices. We can go, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. And this is the worst day of my life. And this is terrible. And where's God? Has he abandoned me? All I did was bring my Bible to work, and now my boss is yelling at me, and they're telling me I can't do that. And, and, all, and then he said they're going to pass me up for the promotion or whatever it may be. And I'm suffering for being a Christian, and this is terrible. Or we can be like, I am suffering because I'm a Christian. And what a blessing to be so closely identified with Christ that the world would treat me the same exact way it treated him. Different attitude, right? Different perspective. He says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Really, the idea is that we have no right to expect better treatment by this world than the treatment that Jesus received. And he was brutalized. 
He was crucified on the cross. He was lied about and mocked and punched. They ripped his beard out. We, we, we have no place to expect better treatment from the world than he received. I believe what Peter is doing here is he's lifting up suffering for being a Christian to, to a place of honor, a place of privilege, right? And privilege, isn't that a buzzword in today's culture? But it is a place of privilege to suffer as Jesus suffered for Jesus, for Christianity. Suffering for standing with Christ is a place of great honor. It is a place of great honor because when you suffer for standing with Christ, what that means is you're suffering for doing what is good, doing what is righteous, doing what is morally correct. It's always honorable to suffer for doing the right thing. It really is the coward's way to stop doing the right thing to avoid suffering. And really, without a reason for suffering, most of us would avoid it at all costs. None of us like to suffer. Pain's not enjoyable. And the Bible doesn't indicate that it should be. When we suffer for truth, when we suffer for standing against evil, the Bible is very clear that that we will be vindicated one day, that there is a reward waiting for us for, for doing that. That the suffering we endure in this world for being a Christian And notice that he keeps saying that. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. See, the next point I'm going to get into is suffer for the right right reasons, right? And I've said this before in other Bible studies about suffering. If you do the wrong, dumb thing and you suffer because of it, that's your fault. If you run the red light and get a ticket and the cop pulls you over, you can't be like, I am suffering for righteousness because I was on my way to church. No, you broke the law. You're a criminal. (laughs) You're suffering justly. But he's talking about here suffering for the name of Christ. That's a difficult thing for a lot of us here in our Western world because we really don't suffer for Christ the way people do around the world. People around the world are are risking their lives coming to church. Risking their lives to come be a part of the fellowship, to be able to see their brothers and sisters face to face and say, how are you doing and can I pray for you? And you know what, God's giving me gifts and I'm here to exercise them for your behalf and your blessing. God has has done a work and I, I wanna see you and people are risking their very lives doing that. And sometimes us here in this country, we're just like, ugh. It's too hard to drive to church. Now, don't get me wrong. People have good reasons for missing church. Work comes up, emergencies, family issues, kids, right? There's a lot of reasons. I'm not saying if you miss church, you're going to hell. But I'm saying if you forsake the fellowship for, for, for not a good reason, wow. When there's people around the world that are like, look, I could die tonight for going to church, but I'm going to go anyways. We know evil exists. We know it's real. We're not naive concerning evil. 
But there are those today who simply try and deny that evil exists in any way, shape, or form, right? How do they, how do they deal with this, you know, suffering existing with God being ultimately good and loving? How, you know, they, they, they try and just deny it, its existence. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Christian science. It's a faith system that was started in the 1800s by some lady, and, and, and it's, uh, it's pretty whack. Anyways, um, but Christian science, they, they teach this. One of their tenets of their faith is that evil doesn't exist. Pain doesn't exist. Suffering doesn't exist, right? It, it feels like Cobra Kai, right? It, you know, pain does not exist in this dojo, right? Christian science, disease doesn't exist. They say that even death doesn't exist. Death is an illusion. How ridiculous. I mean, just spend some time with, with anybody and you'll go, no, suffering's pretty real. You know, pain's pretty real, right? The Bible teaches us that evil is real, so we shouldn't be naive about it. We shouldn't be naive about suffering or evil or hardship and all that. But, but, but with that truth, we also know um, other truths, right? We, we believe that God is in absolute control of the universe. God is absolutely sovereign over the universe he created, right? He's, he created everything. He's aware of everything that has taken place. And so what that naturally means is that God allows evil to exist. It doesn't mean he creates it. It doesn't mean he promotes it. It doesn't mean he stands for it, but it happens. And he's aware of it. And some have a very serious problem with that. They can't reconcile God being good with, with evil being allowed to exist. And so they, they, they come up with, with ways to address it. One of them is open theism or a thing called process theology. If you're unfamiliar with this, this is, this is the concept that God is in the process of getting better at being God. That's process theology or open theism. The idea is that God doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He's not in control of the future, so he can't be responsible for allowing evil to exist. Every day, God is learning new things. He's, he's a deity in process. And that's how they deal with the problem of evil existing. God to them is an entity running around going, oops, I'll fix that tomorrow, oops. Ooh, didn't know about that. Wow, what an impotent God that is, right? So evil exists. God allows it to exist. But there's another very important truth. That God has a purpose in allowing evil to exist. There's a reason. See, what Peter is saying here, in these verses 13 and 14, I believe, is that, look, God is glorified God is ultimately glorified, glorified, and we are blessed when we suffer. So don't let fear of it cripple you. We've already seen a couple times in this letter to 1 Peter that suffering can be helpful. It can be good for us. Pain can be good for us. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he talks about how it purifies us. Right? He says this, you rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? 
The picture there is God is like a goldsmith, right? And, and he's, he's, he's heating the gold up to where it turns into liquid, right? He's putting it under intense, intense, fiery ordeal in that sense. And, and he's pouring that gold back and forth, the process of allowing all the impurities to rise to the top so he could scrape those impurities out of the gold and keep heating it up and heating it up more and more and more, right? This is the idea, the picture that he's telling us there. And so we know suffering is good for us because it refines us. And when we are refined and our lives reflect God more clearly, God is glorified. Suffering humbles us, right? We who have, a, who have a tendency to walk in pride, to be puffed up, we are quickly brought low through a period of suffering, aren't we? When we think we're all that, and then something comes into our lives that causes us suffering and pain and loss, and we realize very quickly we're not all that. Paul, great example, although not prideful himself, admitted in 2 Corinthians that he had a temptation towards pride, or at least a reason to be prideful, right? He says, you know, I've heard God speak. I've seen visions from God. I saw miracles from God. Can you imagine hanging out with Paul? Right, you guys get together and you're like, Paul, bro, let me... Let me share with you what I read in scripture today. And he's like, oh yeah, you know what? God audibly shared with me for two hours this morning. Get out of here, dude. Right? I'll see you later. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul said, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, which means to be so filled with pride that you might explode, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And thorn in the flesh is referring to some painful physical ailment that he had, and he calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. So suffering purifies us, suffering humbles us, and suffering makes us, forces us, if you will, gets us into that place of depending on God like nothing else. You know, when we are physically weak, we we, we lean on something, don't we? We have crutches, canes, walkers. You might lean on a person. You might lean on a table, right? When you're physically weak, you have to depend on something outside of yourself sometimes to help you move, to help you um, progress. And Paul is like, look, concerning this thorn in my life, he goes, I prayed for God to remove it three times. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul went on to say, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. Why, what did he discover? For when I am weak, Then I am strong. The interesting thing about God's power and God's strength is that it is attracted to human weakness. It is drawn to human weakness. When we are weak, when we can't, that is when the power of God manifests in our life, or at least when it can manifest in our life. When his power, um, when our power runs out, his power kicks in. That's the process. Nobody is ever too weak to be powerful in Christ. But, but, but many of us, 
often are too strong to be powerful in Christ. We'll find ourselves in situations where we're like, no thanks, I got this covered. I could handle this myself. I don't need to pray. I don't need to get counsel. I don't need to read my Bible. And almost every single time, people that find themselves in that position, you'll find themselves eventually falling flat on their face. But the person who's readily, who readily admits, I need help, I'm weak, I need to depend on God, I need to lean on him, those people will find themselves powerful in the Lord. And it's trials and it's suffering that do that to us. It's the suffering that, that brings us to that place of being powerful in Christ. And so Peter is like, look, don't be surprised by suffering. It happens to everybody. And don't be scared by suffering because even though it's going to hurt and even though it's going to be uncomfortable, there is something glorious that happens in our suffering that is good for us and glorifies God. And so those are the two don'ts of suffering. The first do of suffering is to suffer for the right reasons. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Now, I find it interesting here that in this list of things to, to not suffer as, he says murderer, right? Ooh, that's bad. Thief, right? Evildoer. And he includes meddler. Other translations use the word busybody. Gossip, right? It's odd that he includes that with murderer. And I think it's because um, people who meddle, and the idea there is to, to meddle in the affairs of others. They do as much damage in people's lives as murderers, as thieves, as evildoers. But Peter's idea here is if you're going to suffer in life, and you will, because suffering is common to every single living person, if you're going to suffer, let it be for the right reasons. Right? Don't retaliate, you, you Christians living in the Roman Empire under this really horrifically wackadoodle Caesar Nero who's murdering Christians left and right just because you're Christians, don't retaliate when they're violent against you by, by then committing murder yourself. Don't retaliate when they take your stuff and compensate your belongings by, by then going to steal and be a thief. Don't retaliate by being a law-breaking criminal, which is what evildoer mean, means, or meddling in affairs that are none of your business. Don't suffer because you do those things. Don't, don't bring suffering into your life by doing wrong. Suffering's going to happen anyways. Don't add to it unnecessarily. And really, when you suffer because of those things, there's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. There, there's no glory for you or for God in that, especially if you're a believer. Peter's saying, look, suffer. If you suffer, simply for being a Christian, for standing for Christ, for standing for righteousness, and it's interesting, Peter uses the word Christian here, right? You go read through the New Testament, you're going to find that the word Christian is only used three times, three times. It's the very 
label of our faith, Christianity, I am a Christian, yet you go through the New Testament, it's only used three times. In the early church, the believers didn't call themselves Christians. They referred to themselves as believers. They said we're a part of the way. They referred to themselves as brethren, right? The word Christian was initially a derogatory term. It was a slang term. It was a term meant to insult those who believed in Jesus. It was a term used by Romans and Greeks to describe this, this group of people who called Jesus Lord instead of Caesar. There was another word that, 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 that described people in the Roman Empire, the citizens, those that, that were required to say, Caesar is Lord. But Christians were like, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. They went, oh, you're one of those Christians, those Christ followers, those little Jesuses. But over time, the early believers were like, yeah, that's exactly who we are. That's exactly who we are. What you mean as an insult, I'm going to take as a badge of honor. I am a Christian. I do stand for Jesus in righteousness, and I am proud to proclaim that. Verse 17, he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if he begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So write this third point here is suffer for the good reasons. What, he's talk, what is he saying here? What, is, what does he mean by the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household? I believe he's, he's re- referencing what he's already been speaking about, right? The purging, the suffering, the, the, the purifying fire of a loving God in the lives of his children, that, that, that God would use suffering to, to, to refine the church, to cause us to mature and grow in our faith. What Peter is saying here is if God will allow suffering in his house, if God will allow suffering in in the lives of his people to burn out the impurities, what's going to happen to those who are nothing but impure when the judgment comes? This is the idea of what he's saying here. If God allows suffering with those who are in Christ, what is gonna to happen to those who don't have Christ? That's the question he's asking here. In verse 18, he's quoting Proverbs. If you go back and read the proverb there, it's, it's, it's speaking how both the righteous and the wicked receive the, the, the expected consequences of their decisions. And so again, the idea of if God allows suffering of his children on earth in order to strengthen and purify their faith, those who reject the gospel are going to experience a whole different level of suffering. Because in Christ, we have God living within us. We have been transformed by the renewing of our mind. God has taken out the heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh, right? God has transformed our thinking. Our spirit is born again. You know, we're a whole different creature. And so God then allows suffering, difficulty, pain, to refine us, to get rid of the impurities. But for those who don't have Christ, who are nothing but impurity, wow. Our salvation, our, our, our hope of heaven, the, the thing we're looking forward to through the sufferings of this life comes through a life of difficulty. Our sanctification, our refinement comes through the allowed suffering that God allows in this world. 
And God uses all of that. God uses that hardship to, to, to increase our trust in him. And so the suffering that we endure in this world, it really makes us long for heaven. At least it does me. Right? Every time something goes wrong, I'm like, I can't wait to be out of here. Every time I deal with, with, with just the, the, the sin in my own life, I can't wait to be done with this body of sin and death. You know, when you deal with, with, with people, you see things happening online, of course you watch the news, right? You're just like, man, it's suffering everywhere all the time. I cannot wait to be out of this world. I long for heaven. But since suffering is going to happen, and it's going to happen constantly, I, I, I shouldn't be bringing suffering unnecessarily into my life through disobedience and doing things that don't glorify God. There is enough suffering through the process of me being sanctified. I don't need any more. And so the second do of suffering is do allow suffering to make you sensitive. Verse 19. He says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Now, if you are an underliner or a note taker, Please underline or highlight that phrase, who suffer according to God's will. You see, there are some in the church that try and teach that suffering is never in the will of God. That it is never God's will for his children to suffer. And they'll go on to teach things like, in in fact, God wants his children to always be happy and healthy and prosperous and rich. And if you send me $100, God will do it in your life. But suffering, that's not God's will for his children. Well, then you need to erase verse 19. Okay. You know, I was going to say you need to tear that page out of your Bible, but paper Bibles are becoming rarer and rarer, so delete it in your app. I don't know if you can't do that. So anyways, point being, Sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer. And so what are those suffering according to the will of God supposed to be doing? It says entrusting themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. That word entrust, it's a word used in banking concepts. It it means to deposit something for safekeeping, right? To deposit something so that it is kept safe. And so the idea is that you entrust yourselves, you entrust your hope, you, 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 you deposit your trust with God. You say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand the, the reality of everything, but I'm going to trust you with, 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 with myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with, with the difficulty. It's hard. It's painful. I don't get it. I want answers. They're not coming, but I trust you. That's what it means to entrust yourself, to put that there so that God will keep it safe. And the reality is when we placed our trust and our future hope in God's bank, it always pays back dividends. It always pays back. Every bit of trust you deposit to your faithful creator will be rewarded. But then he goes on to say, while doing what is good. It might be better translated, while continuing to do what is right and continuing to do what is good. You see, sometimes if we're doing good and that is the thing that leads to us suffering, I've said this before, our conclusion is to stop doing the good, right? If sharing my faith 
at work is causing me to get the, the, the bad jobs and, const- and causing my, 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 my supervisor who hates Jesus to give me the worst shifts and, and all this stuff. And if, if that, maybe I should not stand for Jesus so much. Maybe I should back off on that a little bit, right? Maybe I should, you know, just slow my roll so that, so that I'm not so uh, uh, offensive to people. If being faithful, if being a, a, a good Christian, a good follower of Jesus led the Roman government to, to burn my friend on this torch, maybe I should be a little less bold for Jesus. That's, that's the concept that he's speaking against here. Peter's saying, don't do that. He's like, entrust yourself to God. Trust God with your life. Trust God with your work. Trust God with your finances. Trust God with your, trust him. Trust him. But don't let up on standing for righteousness. Don't let up on standing for Christ, even if you're suffering because of it, even if persecution is coming, but don't let up. God knows your needs. God knows what you need, what your family needs. He's going to take care of you. You're his child. He says, entrust yourself to God and keep doing the good. And I think contextually he's talking about the good that's causing causing the suffering. Now, this is where it gets into allow the suffering to to remind you to be sensitive, right? I don't think Peter saw suffering as merely an academic thing. I believe Peter understood suffering as as a very real reality, a very real reality that, that he wanted to enter into and be a part of. What I mean by that is, is, well, I believe he learned this from Jesus. In John chapter 9, you have the story of there was, a, there was a man who was blind from birth. And the apostles were there with Jesus, and it tells us in John chapter 9 that they see this blind man, and they go, hmm, let us analyze this case study and look at it academically. Rabbi, uh, who sinned that this man uh, was born blind, him or his parents? They wanted to focus on the why question. Why is the suffering happening? Why would God allow this? Who's responsible? Why is it happening? And in John 9, verse 3, Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. And we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. I think Jesus was going, look, dudes, right now, I don't think this guy cares about the theological question of why is suffering allowed. I don't think this guy cares about the philosophical, academic answer to why, why did God allow evil in this world? Why does bad stuff happen to people? You know what this guy cares about right now? He can't see. So I'm going to fix that. I'm going to enter into this person's suffering and, 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 and address that. We may have time for the theological question later. But don't get so caught up on the theology that you forget to enter into people's suffering. Don't get so caught up in why is evil happening that you stop doing the good, you stop serving, you stop reaching out, you stop reaching into people's lives to help them because well, I, got, I can't do anything until I understand why God is allowing evil to happen in this world. And meanwhile, people go on suffering. He's like, look, everybody's gonna suffer. You're suffering. Don't be surprised. Don't be scared of it. Keep doing the good 
And don't lose your sensitivity to the suffering of others that you would stop ministering into their lives. Jesus said, this guy's blind. That's his issue. I'm going to fix that. Now, Jesus didn't go, evil doesn't exist. There is no evil. It's an illusion. He didn't stop doing good to answer their question. He said, no, 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 right now, I'm going I'm to just enter into the suffering of this man. And, and then Christians have always done this, right? You go back through history. The first people that created hospitals were Christians. First people that opened orphanages were Christians, right? Ministering to the suffering needs of people. And, and it's interesting because Christianity was born into a hostile, brutal, Greco-Roman world where, where life was seen as disposable, Right? Life was seen as disposable, like you, you toss aside the life of a slave like you would toss aside a, a dirty rag. And yet Jesus came along and he saw life as precious. And so he said, look, instead of getting caught up, and, and we could make this mistake sometimes, instead of getting caught up and wrapped up in the why is this happening and why is suffering happening, just accept that you're suffering. Accept that maybe God's trying to teach you something in this and then let that make you sensitive to are there people suffering around me that I could go love on and, and, and minister to and encourage? Because sometimes your suffering is the very same suffering that person's going through and they're like, life is over and because of this suffering and you're like, you know what? I'm going through the same thing right now. How about we pray together? Or I just went through that. Or I've been there before and let me minister to you. So Peter's like, look, even if you're suffering, keep doing the good. Keep being sensitive to the fact that others are suffering, suffering too. You know, Sunday I, I talked about it a little bit. You know, we, we are the feet of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones called to get involved in the suffering of the world, not to shrink away while we wrestle with why, why, why. God may reveal to us why, and he may not. But I think instead of getting stuck there, we should focus on being a blessing to those around us in our suffering as they are suffering too. I saw a cartoon of two turtles talking by a fence. And the one turtle said to the other turtle, sometimes I like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could just do something about it. And the second turtle looked at the first turtle and said, yeah, you know what, I'm afraid God might ask me the same exact question. Suffering refines us, teaches us, helps us to grow. Those lessons are for us, but also for others as well. You know, I read this online, and, and it just kind of really spoke to me, <laughs> right? Um, to, to keep my mindset in a proper perspective, okay? And that's why I share it with you guys, but I wanted to read it to you. It says, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are better off than the six million people who will not survive the week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of prison, the agony of torture, the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of the 500 million people in the world who will. If you can attend a church meeting without the fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than three billion other people around the world. Billion. If you have a if you have food, if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank 
or money in your wallet, or even spare change in a dish somewhere, you are currently among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. It's a perspective that matters, you know. It's easy to get caught up in our own suffering and think, oh, this is the worst suffering anybody's ever gone through. I guarantee you there is someone suffering worse. That's not to diminish your suffering. That's not to say your suffering doesn't matter, it does. But knowing that there are others suffering for their faith in ways you can't even imagine right now might help you put your suffering in a perspective of saying, I can get through this. God can take me through this. Jesus talked about the least of these. James said true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. And so rather than than looking at suffering just academically, how about we enter into the suffering of others' lives using the suffering we're going through as a tool maybe to minister the love of Christ to them. Because suffering happens, suffering is real, but I think a proper perspective will always help us in it. And so don't be surprised when suffering happens. Don't be scared about the suffering that's happening. Do suffer for the right things. Don't bring suffering into your life unnecessarily by choosing to do wrong things. And do let the suffering in your own life make you sensitive to the needs of those that are suffering around you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you. Lord, we know we've all experienced, and some may be experiencing it tonight, Lord. We all suffer in different ways to different degrees at different times. And Lord, it is absolutely true, and I acknowledge even in my own life, that when I am suffering, my suffering seems to be the sole focus of my life in that moment because it hurts and it's painful and it's confusing and I don't understand. But Lord, before we come to a place of blaming you and getting mad at you and cursing you for the suffering in our lives and how dare you allow this to happen and why would you allow this, I'm your child, and all of that nonsense, Lord, May we stop for a second, even in our suffering, just to realize that in many, many other ways we are so much more blessed than others who are suffering in greater ways. And may we for a moment, Lord, just thank you for those blessings. And then, Lord, reflect back on the suffering we're going through to recognize it as the blessing it can be in our lives, that it is purifying us and refining us. God, may we not be surprised that suffering would happen even to a child of God, Lord. It happens to everybody. But help us to not be scared of the suffering that would come upon us such that we would step away from standing for Christ and back off of standing for righteousness, but quite the opposite, Lord. We would so fully entrust ourselves to you that we would know, God, that in your hands, we're taken care of. And so before I back down from from confessing my faith, before I stop sharing Jesus. And Lord, even in that, give us wisdom in how and when and timing and all that stuff, Lord. But before we'd ever say, no, I will not share Jesus because the suffering is too great, God, help us to trust you, to not be scared. God, because we know suffering is coming, Lord, let us not bring unnecessary suffering into our own lives, God that we wouldn't be living contrary to your word and disobedient to you, God, and causing our own difficulties, Lord. But instead, God, let us suffer because we are Christians. 
and be blessed because of that. And Lord, help us to never forget the suffering of others. That we wouldn't be so caught up in our suffering, Lord, that we would just forget to look at the needs of the people around us, God, who in often many ways are suffering way more than we are, Lord. And, and they may be suffering in the exact same thing we're going through, Lord. And God, you've allowed us to go through it. That we would have an answer for the hope that is within us. So Lord, help us to see suffering in this biblical light. God, it's painful, it hurts, but when it happens, Lord, help us to trust you in all of it. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, let's worship.